Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily, Friday's episode of the daily Premier League news and reaction show on a weekend where there is no Premier League to speak of. It's that pesky fixture congestion everyone keeps moaning about this weekend as we turn our attention to the oldest and most respected cup competition in the world, the FA Cup. There is a full weekend of matches, some of which we'll be talking about shortly, with COVID firmly on the side of Swindon Town as they look to complete a giant killing over a depleted, virus-ridden Manchester City. But is that giant killing on the cards? We'll talk about that in a bit. Speaking of giant killings, I'm also going to be testing your knowledge on some of those big matches from the FA Cup's history later as we look at some of the biggest and best names to fall to lower league opposition. And there's some interesting transfer gossip going into the weekend too. We will run the rule over deals for Aston Villa, for Liverpool and of course for Newcastle because they are the mainstay in the back pages at the moment. And to do that on today's show, it's a Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor kind of day. How you doing, boys? Yeah, good. Not too bad. Um, happy with Kieran Trippier's announcement this morning, so the day's off to a good start. I just need to talk to you two idiots for 45 minutes and we'll get it <laughs> over with. We're not actually going to talk. I think we've talked about the Kieran Trippier enough, to be honest with you, because it's been happening for about yeah, we have. two weeks, hasn't it? It's been looking like it's nailed on and it's finally yeah. gone yeah, through. Yeah, enough Newcastle news now. I'm sick of oh, it. Oh, there still will be plenty more Newcastle yeah. news who, who's to discuss. Next? Yeah, who's next? That's a question. <laughs> well, some suggestions as to who might be next in St. James's Park very shortly. But before we get started into the football today, we need to give a shout out to potentially Football Social Daily's most loyal listener. And I'm very happy for you if you're a listener to Football Social Daily and you think you're more loyal to challenge this. But I reckon Dave... Bucket has to have this particular honour. He got in touch recently and shared his listening stats for last year. And he'd listened to Football Social Daily a whopping 4,936 minutes across the last 12 months of this podcast. 
Now, I did some maths on this, and I worked out that 4,936 minutes is roughly three and a half days of his life continuously listening, 24 hours a day, to Football Social Daily. So, Dave, well done. You deserve huge credit. You've clearly got tolerance and stamina beyond what anyone can imagine, and we are delighted to have you with us on the team. So thank you very much for listening. And like I say, if you think you are more loyal than Dave, get in touch, let us know. You can do it on Twitter, at The Sports Social, or why not leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell us your listening stats for the year. Now, the great thing about that shout-out is sometimes when you do shout-outs on a podcast, you don't know if that person is listening, but we kind of pretty much can guarantee that Dave is listening. So it's good that he's going to hear it. But let's go on to the sporting action because there is one big cup game to talk about and that is, of course, Exeter City versus Portsmouth in the EFL Trophy. No, we're not going to do that. Although if Niall was on the show today, we probably would be doing that. Instead, we're going to do Swindon Town versus Manchester City, which is the only FA Cup game that is happening tonight. And could we be heading into the first giant killing of the third round? Pep Guardiola will not be at this game. He's tested positive for COVID, along with a load of his team as well. 21 players and coaches at the Etihad are currently isolating with COVID-19. That includes seven members of the first team. And I don't think there was a postponement request for this game, Marley, which is in direct comparison with the Liverpool game recently, I guess. Is that kind of what we need to do now as a sport in terms of football is just crack on use the depth of your team use your development squad and just try and make these games happen rather than kick them down the road a little bit particularly if arguably they're not massively important like this one uh i I think you've you've sort of stumbled on the the main reason i think this this hasn't been um Asked to be postponed because it's it's only Swindon. <laughs> it's Swindon. They're a lower league club. Man City should beat them with a COVID outbreak or without a COVID outbreak. Um, this, it we don't know which players aren't available, but apparently the seven first teamers um, unavailable. Uh, we don't know who they are yet, but we're probably seeing the team tonight that it'll still be strong enough to to come through the game. And I think if you applied for a postponement. Um, all you do is is like you said, just push it down the road, and then you've got to fit in a game. You know, in a couple of weeks' time, when you're trying to get ready for the Champions League coming back, um, and it just it clogs your your fixture list up a little bit more. So, why would you not just get this, try and get this done, um, and use you know a mix of young youngsters and promising players, players like Cole Palmer if he's available, and uh, Wilson Esbrand, the left back, and there's. There's plenty of McAtee and, and people like that, you know, so there's they should have enough, whoever really plays. Um, and I think that's come into the whole preparation thing. And even if even if Guardiola's not there, if it's a mostly youth team, um, as long as someone's there who's familiar with the youth setup and, and the elite development squad, they shouldn't have a problem against Swindon. I think that's really what it comes down to. In fact, some of the fans I've seen on Twitter and social media see really excited about the inclusion of some EDS players in this City team that's going to face uh, Swindon. And I think, is that, a, I mean, should we see more of that in cups anyway, Joel? Should we see this mix of the big names and the youth talent? We're, seeing, we're hearing constant complaints about fixture congestion, particularly from teams like Manchester City and like Liverpool and like Chelsea, who are top of the league. And yet they've got this 
youth team that they invest huge money in, surely these cup competitions, be it the FA Cup or the Carabao Cup, are the perfect excuse to blood some youngsters and give them some proper game time. Yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, it's probably one of the main reasons why a lot of City youngsters end up trying to go for new clubs abroad or get a chance at smaller clubs in the Premier League just because if there's ever going to be a chance where you can actually play and show your talent and potentially be in Guardiola's thoughts for the Premier League, for example, you obviously need to play on a decent stage um, to actually show yourself. And it seems as though in recent years, because there's just so much pressure, especially for Guardiola to win titles and because he's got such amazing depth as well. I mean, even his second team for Manchester City, that could easily... Uh, challenge for the Premier League without a doubt and he probably is third string team it's just it's just ridden with depth and it's just the fact that he has the investment and the quality to do that as well so it's just impossible for his youngsters to actually get any kind of game time obviously Phil Foden's a bit of a a rarity but I think he's kind of a cut of cloth, cut of cloth above the rest but even still there's some super young talented players in that City youth setup um and they all end up going to teams and shining and then obviously Sancho's probably the best story that's come out of their youth setup. obviously coming to United for 75 million in the summer which they sold for 7 million about 5 years ago so you know if he would have gotten a, a run of games in in the FA Cup for example potentially he might even still be there and had a shot at actually being in the first team but it's it's the only competition really because the Carabao Cup has only got like three four games in it anyway, um, and it comes so early in the season that the teams have enough depth to actually cope with it. But it's exactly like Marley said. I feel like this game is the perfect game for Guardiola to just rest all of his first team, considering that Chelsea are just around the corner in the Premier League, and he knows that if he cancel if they postpone this fixture. It's going to get pushed right in between big games in the Premier League, Europe, um, and it's just it's it's not wise for them to do it. And to be honest, even if he plays his fifth string side, it's probably going to have ridiculous amounts of quality in it, and it should be more than enough to cope against being Swede, uh, Sweden, uh, Swindon. <laughs> but I think it's um, yeah, I think it's it's a straight. I think it's very calculated by City. To be honest, like you mentioned, I think if they were playing, for example. Liverpool or Chelsea in this third round I think the the talk would be very different I think it probably would have been postponed uh, but you know in the last five years Guardiola's only won one FA Cup so you would think that he'd want the best possible chance at actually winning it but I mean Swindon shouldn't be too much of a hard task because there's just ridiculous amounts of quality in that City side It's not just a problem with Manchester City youngsters getting opportunities it's a problem right across the Premier League and I look I mean your team Manchester United there are very few youngsters there that are getting opportunities at my team West Ham again the opportunities are very limited it was quite nice in the Europa League recently when West Ham knew they'd qualified top of the group they were able to play the entire development squad back four in their final game and seeing those youngsters play together I think was really impressive and seeing them step into the first team but it doesn't happen enough and it does feel to me that there is potentially a rule that could be written into the FA Cup or the League Cup that says you need to have a certain amount of under 21 talent playing in that competition without going the whole hog and going right we're going to put under 23 squads 
into this competition. But it does look like there will be some youngsters playing tonight, Marley, for Manchester City. You rattled off a couple of names there earlier. Who should we be looking out for amongst those City ranks? Who are the real promising pieces of talent that are likely to get a game? Um, well, we all know about Cole Palmer, I suppose, like in his little breakthrough season. Um I think, I mean, obviously every every name I suggest now depends on whether they've got COVID or not because we don't we don't know, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is annoying really because it's it, well it's privacy and all the rest of it, isn't it? So um, I think maybe we might see that Kaiki who they've signed from a Brazilian side recently. Uh, I think he's just joined, uh, sort of like September time, um, came over to to England. Um, I think he's like seventeen or something, but. He's meant to have a really bright future, so we might see him. Um, James McAtee, like I said before, a lot of people are getting excited about. Um, Joshua wilson Esbrand is uh, another promising sort of left-back, like attacking left-back. Um, he'll probably have eyes on actually making it into the first team if, with uh, everything that's going on with Man City's left-backs at the minute. Uh, there's never really been a, a solid permanent left-back in Man City's team for the last two or three years. Um, even Cancelo was doing a job there. He's doing a hell of a job, but he's still not a, a, a natural left-sided defender. So he might have serious eyes on breaking into that team in the next couple of years. Um, there's a fellow in midfield called, I think he's called Flavia or something like that, um, who's pretty decent, sort of a Fernandinho-ish role um, in midfield. So if we see these players like they they should have enough about them as well, like to see off um, Swindon, like because we're forgetting, like we're, I'm not just writing off Swindon because the Swindon they pro- they've probably got a COVID outbreak as well, but we don't hear about it because the Swindon. So do you know what I mean? Like even they're going to be not at their best. Um, I think they had a player at the weekend score score a hat trick at like 17 or something, but uh, so that they've got like enough of a sort of. A chance at this, like they they'll they'll probably go for this, and they'll be they'll be happy that you know the likes of De Bruyne and Foden and you know Sterling aren't gonna come up and just roll roll over them, but they'll they'll have a go at the mix of of youth and experience and you know untested, untried players, um, and hopefully try and nick something. But for Swindon, it's about the occasion. I think the the owners have even um, said that. Um, on social media yesterday they put a video out saying like it's a shame that you can't be here Guardiola but if you want to come to one of our games in the future um, come and come and see what Swindon's all about and I thought that if ever there was an offer to get politely ignored <laughs> it's probably that one <laughs> but never mind I mean there are very few teams that are as well equipped to cope with development players coming into your first team squad than City as well because of the way they've structured their academy and the way teams right the way through every level play in exactly the same way they play the same style of football they play the same formation so it's very easy to bring in these development players and drop them in amongst the first team squad so it's very difficult to see anything other than a Manchester City win even with depletion in their ranks I think the bookies have them at 16 to 1 off I think it's called isn't it 1 to 16 basically is the chances of a Swindon wins So it's looking pretty unlikely. But when we look at this weekend ahead, so when we look at the games that are happening in the FA Cup third round, are there any that you look at and you go, that's the one that could be an upset? That's the potential game that we could see something interesting happening? So Joel, you can have your pick first. 
Uh, I would probably go for the Everton and Hall game. I think that this probably could be Benitez's game that kind of... I think Everton are going to win as an upset. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, if they can actually score a goal uh, recently. But yeah, I think the, the dominoes are starting to fall for him at the moment and he's just not getting what he needs out of the team. Uh, I don't know how well Hull are doing in um, their league, but with this Everton side, Terrible. yeah, are they doing terribly well? well? I mean, that'll probably be even more of an upset than considering how poor Everton have been. So yeah, I'd, I'd probably take that one, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do end up losing that. That Benitez ends up going after it as well. It doesn't seem to be as common nowadays FA Cup upsets as they used to be, Marley. But are there any that you look at that you think might potentially tip the apple cart? Um, I can't see Chesterfield turning up at Stamford Bridge and turning over Chelsea like, but um, I was looking at maybe West Brom to to knock out Brighton. Um, it's that sort of top of the Championship versus mid table in the Premier League. You're not sure whether how how well Brighton will, um, how sort of seriously Brighton might take the FA Cup. But I think West Brom could could do that. Um, and there was Huddersfield as well. Huddersfield playing. Um, who was Burnley, so I think Huddersfield could could turn over Burnley. Huddersfield are playing pretty well in the Championship. They think they're somewhere around the playoffs. Um, and obviously, as we know, Burnley, if they're hit by any COVID outbreak, they've got a very, very small squad at the best of times. Um, so they could easily struggle against a high-flying Huddersfield side who are getting their feet back under them after a, a poor season last season. So... I'd look out for them too, to be honest. A few games to look out for there. We're going to return to giant killing shortly as I test Joel and Marley's knowledge of some of the great giant killings in FA Cup history. We'll do that shortly, but first it is transfers and we're going to talk about that next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. As Marley already said, Kieran Trippier has signed for Newcastle United. There are plenty more Newcastle deals, no doubt, set to happen over the course of January until the window shuts. We've got some of those to talk about shortly. But before we do, I want to talk about Philippe Coutinho, who seems to be edging closer to a bit of a surprise move to Aston Villa. That's according to a number of different sources at the moment. A reuniting with Steven Gerrard, who of course he played with at Liverpool. And apparently it's Steven Gerrard who's been instrumental in convincing Felipe he wants to swap Barcelona for the Midlands. Did you ever consider this was going to be a likely destination, Marley, for Philippe Coutinho? Brazilian midfielder, Copa del Rey winner... Liverpool midfield. I mean, he's got like a pretty decent heritage and with all due respect to Aston Villa, it feels like a bit of a step down this. Just slightly. Um, I think Coutinho needs a home, doesn't he really? He's had a a crap few years since leaving Liverpool. Uh, The move to Barcelona was was a bust. Um, Hasn't really worked. They pay him too much. Um, they they pay him too much that they don't want to put him on the pitch because if he plays well, they've got to keep paying him. If that makes sense, so like their financial situation's so desperate that they almost can't wait and try and coach him into being this amazing player because they've put him on half a million a week or something ridiculous like that. So it's um, you know that 
the business is is not great, and it's affected him because he went to Bayern and it, he didn't really fit Bayern either. Um, so I think he just needs needs a bit of love, and he would get that at Aston Villa. But it's it's I don't know enough about his mentality to, you know, would he does he want to dip down to that level and then fight his way back up? Because um, I think at this stage of his career, he knows that it's probably peaked. Um, but it's about w- whether he's got the hunger to get back there or not. Um, I was saying on the podcast a few weeks ago, if you, if you remember, the when players leave top clubs, I don't know. what It, it, it just depends on their personality, whether they want to get back or they think, right, I've been there, so I've peaked now, that's it. And I don't know whether Coutinho falls into this, this trap or not, or whether he thinks, right, I've been to Barcelona, it didn't work, but if I play well for... A smaller team, like really, really well. Maybe I can get back to, you know, uh, uh, a top club in England or or Italy or something like that. Um, maybe go back to Inter or something, something like that. But I think if he did go to Villa, Gerard loves him obviously from the playing days. Gerard's not going anywhere soon. Um, in terms of his his uh, his future, is going to be at Villa for at least a couple more years. So. The move is there for him if he wants it, but it's just whether he fancies it or not. Because for me, he seems like a type of player that would that would go to China or America or well, maybe not China because they've got the salary cap coming in now, so it's kind of becoming a bit of a um, bit of a non-starter. That, but it it does seem like someone for me who would go back to Brazil before he would come to someone like Aston Villa and say, "Do I want to play in freezing cold Birmingham?" <laughs> Um, when I've been to Barcelona for the last three years, and then I've been to Munich, do I want to go home where my where my career started? So it just depends. But it'd be a hell of a result if if uh, Villa could pull him uh, pull him across to to Birmingham. Well, you say it's about him trying to get a bigger move and kind of using Villa as a stepping stone. Is there a chance that this is just a signal of intent? from Aston Villa. They've already got Steven Gerrard. They have spent some money. The Jack Grealish money has been reinvested into players that look decent when they recruit them. Some of them worked, some of them haven't. But is this the opportunity for Villa to bring in players like this and go, look, we're, we're meaning business now. We want to be a top six team in the Premier League. Yeah, but, I mean, they've they've not... I don't think they're, they're at that yet. Like, everybody can say they want to be a top six, top eight team, but... You know, it's not as easy as just spending money and then the success comes because look at Everton and look at there's there's countless um, examples of of teams that spend a load of money. Like Villa have done it this year; they've spent loads of money on Bailey, Ings, um, uh, Buendia, Martinez, and they're struggling in the bottom half of the Premier League. Like that's how hard it is. So it's not just about signing these like fancy players who've been and been and done loads of stuff in their career because it doesn't guarantee success and I would I was thinking about this what this sort of move reminds me of and it's it's almost similar to James Rodriguez going to Everton and we all know how how that ended and if this happens they've got to be wary of that like they've got to be wary about how arsed the player is to play for your team especially if it's on loan or a short-term deal because you have to look after your best interest in the future and you look now and James is off playing in um, the UAE or Qatar or wherever it, wherever it is or Saudi, and you know he's he's just fallen off the face of the earth really. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's difficult to see how a player is motivated by it. again with the utmost respect to Aston Villa, and I'll apply this to my team as well. If it was a player that has come through the 
teams you rattled off, Liverpool, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, how much pride and passion can they get from pulling on an Aston Villa shirt? How much motivation is that going to bring them? It's a really difficult balance to have. But you've got to hope that Steven Gerrard, being the man he is and being this as a player he knows, would be able to provide that motivation. One of the things I like about this transfer was Steven Gerrard talking in a press conference about it. And he said, this is a quote from Steven Gerrard, he said, he's won two league titles at Barcelona, two Copa del Reyes. If you go and have a look at his Wikipedia page, you'll see he's a serial winner wherever he goes. And I just like the fact that a professional football manager like Steven Gerrard does exactly the same as we all do. When we hear there's a transfer in the offing, you're straight on Wikipedia, you look at the stats, how many games, how many goals, we're all the same, professional footballers or just random football fans. Right, let's move to Liverpool next, Coutinho's old club, because apparently they're looking to bring in another attacking option. This is according to The Sun. They love a winger at Liverpool and they're chasing Colombian winger Luis Diaz from Porto at the moment. What do you know about Luis Diaz, Joel? And is he worth the £60 million price tag that he's being touted with? Well, he's, a, he's another one of Porto's amazing recruitment uh, signings from South America, if you kind of cast your minds back. Obviously, they've, they've, had an, they've got such a good track record in the, in the transfer window when it comes to, obviously, like Radamel Falcao, James Rodriguez... Um, and then they have Martinez. They've had a, a ridiculous amount. They made ridiculous amounts of profit, and it looks like this is going to be the same again. Um, they only paid five million for him. Uh, I was looking into his background because I didn't know a lot about his background, and he was actually spotted by Carlos Valderrama in Colombia while he was playing for an indigenous side there uh, for Colombia. And following that, they ended up paying five million for him to take him to uh, Portugal. And in his first season, he got 50 Joel's games. Joel's been on Wikipedia. 100. And he, had, I didn't know much about where he'd actually come from. But yeah, it, it, the high, the, I remember watching a couple of games in the uh, Copper America, and he is pretty electric on that left side. Um, they finished third in the Copper America, Colombia, and he ended up finishing um, top scorer with Lionel Messi with four goals. And I think that's been pretty much the kind of height of his career so far. And then obviously this season he's he's got some pretty good stats from the wing with 14 goals in 21 games. Um, but if you just watch him, just typically he's he's kind of the typical cop player. I would say he's very electric. He's he's got high energy in his press. Um, and the fact that he's a a winger, preferably on the left side, I think it says to me that Liverpool are starting to look towards the transition of their front three. Obviously not Salah because he looks like he's about to sign a new contract but potentially Mane um, I think his position is potentially a threat a little bit just because I think this is this is a, a an issue that I spotted last year which is the fact that they're all at a similar age that front three and they've all been continuously going at it for a good five years now at such such a high level and I was always concerned that well, not concerned. I'd hope that they don't do very well in replacing them, but I was always kind of apprehensive of how they would actually go about replacing them because obviously they them that front three has literally took them to ridiculous heights in this last five years. Um, so I think with Diaz, if they do end up signing him, it'll be a very calculated move because it's going to be an expensive one. It's rumored to be like sixty million for him, which is quite crazy money uh, considering he's had probably two. M- pretty good uh, seasons with Porto um, but I think it would have to be a very very smart well thought out recruitment just because 
replacing someone like Mane. That's not to say he's going to totally replace him, but as we've seen with Jota in this last two years, Firmino's becoming a bit of an afterthought now in that side, just because Jota's literally made that kind of centre-forward, false nine role, if you will, his own. Um, And that potentially could happen with Mane if he's not careful in the next uh, two to three years, potentially. So... I think it's, it's it's a calculated move by Liverpool and it's one that's needed because that investment is always going to be needed once you've had so many wins, you've had a Champions League win, you've had a Premier League win and you can't keep resting on your laurels and thinking that this front three are going to keep to a high level. I think Salah's probably the only one now who's going to maintain that. I think Firmino, Firmino will probably be moved on in the le- in the next two years, I would say. So the start, I think they're starting to prepare for the future a little bit. Um, and he does look a good player, but he's far from the finished product. And he, but he does look like a typical Klopp player, I would say. It does feel like the latest in the succession plan for Firmino, Salah, and Mane that Liverpool have been trying to complete for a couple of seasons now. There does seem to be a plan in place there to rejuvenate that squad. Let's go to Newcastle then, Marley. And you're being linked with a number of players at the moment, as always, as has been the story of the last month or so. But one of the most surprising links for me today is that West Ham's Issa Diop, according to L'Equipe in France, is being touted as a new centre-back option with a bid of £10 million being put in. I guess my first question is, is Diop an upgrade on what Newcastle currently have at centre-back? Um, I, I don't know, mate, to be honest, uh, because I think you tell me, because he's sort of lost his place, hasn't he, in the, in the West Ham team? He's a, he, I mean, he, he showed huge potential. He showed huge potential when he came to West Ham, which was, yeah. I'd say, two he and was and really good a couple of years ago, wasn't Yeah, he? but he's, he's very mistake ridden which is a bit of a problem for a centre-back it's the last you can kind of tolerate mistakes in your full-back positions but your centre-backs you want them to be a hundred percent dependable don't they but so I mean it's difficult to know whether he's a true upgrade on what Newcastle we have I guess the question is how bad are Newcastle in the centre-back position uh we're we're pretty poor uh really poor to be honest um we're in a weird position where we've got loads of centre backs. They're just all crap, um, <laughs> which is a like. I mean, I don't even know who the who the pick of them probably is. Probably say our best, most solid defender is Federico Fernandez, um, and he doesn't get in the team when when everyone's fit because it's usually Lascelles and and Fabian Share. But to to be fair to them, they're not the best defenders. Shazam or good in a back three because he likes to bring the ball out from the back and uh, that kind of thing. Lascelles is very, very limited and the complete opposite. Um, does a lot of shouting and stuff like that, but he's not, in terms of talent, the most amazing defender. So I do think we need, we definitely need um, improvements there. I don't know who it's going to be. Um, the Tarkowski link seems to have gone a bit quiet. Um, this Diop things came along, but I'm not sure... How old is he? Is that, is that 22, 23? Because... I feel like I he's twenty four now. Is he? I feel like you need a bit more experience in, in if you're gonna sign someone to come into a, a relegation firefight, I would want someone slightly more experienced or someone who's played at a higher level. Um but it's he's look, he's better than Kieran Clark, so I'd I'd take him. Do you think it could be a good move for Diop, Joel? Because it wasn't that long ago that Jose Mourinho described Diop as a monster after West Ham beat Manchester United and he was congratulating the West Ham scouting team for uncovering this gem from the French League. But since then, he's fallen down the pecking order at West Ham, as Marley has said. But he 
does seem to have some ability and he does seem to have some potential. So does he just need that opportunity now to become a first team regular? And he's not going to displace Ogbonga and Zuma at West Ham in those first choice centre-back positions. So he needs somewhere he can go and prove his talent. I think those comments were like the peak of his career. (laughs) Once those comments happened, he just disappeared from the face of the earth. Um, Yeah, I remember when he said that and then instantly we were linked with, I think, a £40 million move for him uh, that summer, which obviously didn't happen. But sometimes a player just just needs a new environment to actually start getting a run of games. I think that's similar to with with what's happened with Coutinho. He needs a run of games. And I think with Diop, it's probably the same. If you're around 24 and you're at a club and you're just not getting a look in, like a career's short in football and I would not be hanging around at all if I know that I could be a starter at another Premier League side. Um, and it doesn't look like it's going to change at your current club. But I think the everyone's thought around Diop is is something that's been long in the past that I don't remember even watching him for such a long time um, it's been probably like three years before since he's actually got a long streak in that West Ham side so I think it probably would be a smart move and I'm sure the price will be nowhere near that 40 million mark that was being quoted about three or four years ago so I think it'd be a clever punt to be honest I don't know you can probably tell me better than I can if he's actually still the same player as he was when Mourinho did make all those comments and he did have a decent run in that West Ham side but I think what was the uh, was the price around 10 million that was being quoted which I mean it's, it's pretty risk free isn't it especially if you've got the owners that Newcastle have um, but you know and he's still young and he can still definitely mould into something very good but as we've seen in football to be honest there's such a lack of top quality centre backs that maybe it is necessary to take a punt on a player who does have that potential but just needs to be re-established in a first team again so I think considering how many goals Newcastle have shipped at the moment I think anything's better than nothing to be honest and it could be a very smart um, signing to be fair. As you say 10 million quid is absolutely no money in the modern transfer market and Diop has shown potential his first couple of seasons at West Ham he was pretty much an ever-present as a centre-back but the last couple I think he hasn't played more than 20 games or so under David Moyes, certainly as a starter. So he certainly feels like he needs a move to get the best out of his career. Loads of other players being linked with a move to Newcastle at the moment, Marley. I'm going to rattle off a few of the names that I've spotted today. I want you to tell me which one you think is the most realistic. It can be another one as well. It doesn't have to be one of the ones I list. So they're being linked just in today's newspapers with Divock Origi, Dominic Solanke, Todd Cantwell and Anthony Martial, the Anthony Martial deal being a lone one just today. So which of those, or is there another name that you think could happen over the next week? None of them, to be honest. I'd I'd be too bothered about. I mean, Origi, I don't know, nobody... I still, we still don't know how good Origi is. I don't know if you, if you start him 30 games, I've got no idea how many goals he'd score. I don't know whether it'd be five or 25. Um, because he, he seems to be like happy to be like a super sub, and and he comes into Liverpool teams, doesn't he? And, and has like spells where he'll score three, and he's in four sub appearances. Then he'll get a start and play like absolute rubbish. Um, so I wouldn't fancy that one. Dominic Solanke, I've given massive amounts to stick to on the um podcast when Bournemouth were in the Premier League because he was just a completely um like. Uh, what's the word? So just like a striker that doesn't score. Like 
that's your one thing. I think he went like two years out scoring a Premier League goal or something for, for Bournemouth, never never got on one. Then he dropped out of the Championship, starts banging them in. That's all well and good, but uh, there's countless players who who can do that um, and never get the sort of impact in the Premier League. So that's a huge gamble. Um, and Bournemouth would want too much money for him as well because they're entitled to want big cash for their their top scorer. Um, Todd Campwell's not done much this season. Um, he was good a couple of years ago when he came in at the Premier League as a as a very young player. Um, he was one of the bright lights when Norwich went down. Decent enough in the Championship last season, but he's struggled with injury a bit this year and still don't know how, how good he is um, long term. And then Martial is, is talent, but he's lazy and he's not what you, you know, you've got six months to, to fight off relegation. Do you want Anthony Martial in that fight? Is he going to roll up his nope. sleeves? That's what I mean. Like, he's never rolled up his sleeves once. He wears gloves in friggin' August. Like, he's not, he's that, he's that type of player who would just, would wilt, you think, unless, well, the only way to find out is to buy him, but... Would you would you want to buy him off what you've seen at Man United so far? There's no consistency. There's no. Um, I mean, he's played sort of on the wing, and then he said he wanted to be a striker. Then he was too lightweight and and not great, not good enough as a striker. Um, so there's even that. Like it's it, it, the whole move to me doesn't make sense. But he's available, and people need to print uh, columns and newspapers and online articles, so they will. They will sort of um, push that that deal towards Newcastle. So of the four you mentioned, I I wouldn't fancy any of them. But um, in terms of the one I would would like to see, it's probably Aaron Ramsey from from Juventus. Um, bring him in on on a six month loan with an option to buy in the summer. I think that's fairly risk free, um, and you get a player who's been around. I've talked about about him a lot on the podcast in the last couple of weeks. Is is a bit of what we need at the minute, I think, as as uh, the Newcastle squad goes into a massive sort of six or seven weeks as uh, for their Premier League future. I'm a big fan of Aaron Ramsey. Looks like he will be leaving Juventus. Well, definitely at the summer, if not over this next few weeks on a loan. But he's a absolutely sterling Rolls Royce of a player. Is Aaron Ramsey? Right, we're going to talk more about the FA Cup next. Also, but- sorry, Jim. We've, um, when we're talking about Coutinho, he's actually signed for for Villa. Has that happened? Yeah, it's been. It was announced just as we started the podcast. So that's uh, he's oh, joined on go. loan on loan for the rest of the season. So that's in and done. And yeah, Coutinho's in Birmingham. Done deal. I imagine Barcelona are paying from Barcelona to Birmingham. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that Barcelona are paying a very large portion of his wages for that deal as well. I can't see it but being. Yeah, if I was Coutinho, I'd be demanding the same. <laughs> Right, we are going to talk back about the FA Cup next. We're going to test Joel Marley and your knowledge of the previous giant killings from the Cup's history. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. As we go into the FA Cup weekend, final bit of Football Social Daily today is testing Joel and Marley's knowledge of FA Cup giant killings. Play along at home. So I'm going to ask you who put the big name team out in certain seasons and see if you can work it out. There'll be a couple of clues if you can't get it first. So here we go. First question. Buzz in with your name. Who put Chelsea out 
in the 2014-2015 season. Who knocked them out of the FA Cup? Bradford. Very good, yeah, Joel. Bradford, yeah. I wasn't expecting that. That was brilliant. <laughs> League One Bradford knocked them I re- out. I remember that. It was 4-2, wasn't it? It was 4-2. Chelsea were 2-0 up. It finished 4-2. It was Chelsea's earliest exit from the FA Cup in history. A brilliant early point for Joel. Right, next up. In 2000-2001, who put Leicester City to the sword in the FA Cup? Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> Incorrect. The opposition manager was Laurie Sanchez, and the opposition were in the second division. Rotherham. Tramir always. Incorrect. The winning goal was scored by Ross Essendo, who had replied to an advert on Teletext a couple of days before asking for a Ford player to join the club on a two-week contract because they had so many injuries. Sounds like my local team. <laughs> I feel like I know this, but <laughs> I can't. Leicester City 1. Barnet. Wickham Wanderers 2. Wickham. That was before Jesus. my time, that. Joel still 1-0 up. To be fair, I was only 9. Last season, who knocked Leeds out of the FA Cup? It was a League 2 side. Score was 3 0. Oh, oh, um, the one where they had the Towie fellow playing for them. Crawley, Crawley Town. Correct. Well done, Marley. Yes. Good grab. One all, boys. I feel like I've peaked like one. England in the final. <laughs> I scored too early. Group stages, I think. <laughs> right. In 2012 2013, who was it that knocked Manchester City out of the FA Cup? It was the final. Everyone expected Manchester City oh, to win this. Oh, Wigan. It was Wigan Athletic. Ben Watson with the winner at the death. Congratulations. And Wigan were relegated from the Premier League just 10 days after that FA Cup victory. <laughs> Played in Europe in the Championship. Brilliant. 2-1 it is to Joel at the moment. This is the last one. You need this, Marley, for the draw. Who put Arsenal out in 1991, 1991-1992? Oh, for God's sake. One of the most famous giant killings of all time, this, in the FA Cup. Come on, I'm not an FA Cup merchant like that. Wrexham. Boo! Oh, <laughs> well oh, Joel's on his phone. Whoa. No, I swear to God, I, I, that was a pump, that. Featuring former Football Social Daily pundit Mickey Thomas, whose free kick is shown on TV every time there is any mention of a giant killing you see clips of that famous victory Wrexham 2 Arsenal 1 that's it and that is very similar to the scoreline of the game because Joel wins 3-1 one for the books that one for the books I'm I'm awful at years that things happened at with football I'm honestly terrible but I'm just glad that you did I could have swore Jim on my life that you were going to have Newcastle's defeat to Hereford in there um, in like 1974 <laughs> or something, and I would have got it in an instant because I would I knew where you were going with it, but you didn't you didn't stitch me up. So happy days. Well, it would have been a bit of an unfair advantage, really, because I I knew that you would have known that, and Joel wouldn't have. <laughs> so that would have been unfair. But that is it for today's football social daily. Congratulations, Joel! A giant killing of our own to wrap up today's <laughs> podcast. Tomorrow's dugout that's going to be available. Well, in fact, it's going to be later on today, later on on Friday evening. You'll be able to get that podcast. Niall and the boys having a chat about everything interesting in the FA Cup. And we'll see you soon for the next Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.